This is the Tales and Tactics B-Sides, where we chat about a topic inspired by this week's episode. Drawing inspiration from our episode about chainmail, Troy and I discussed the concept of scope and scale in a war game. One thing that would be interesting is to set up, because you had mentioned the, the difference between a battlefield game and a skirmish game, and obviously then we can go down to a role-playing game later, but like in the next episode. But um, I think it's, it's interesting because Chainmail does introduce the idea with the man-to-man combat as well, having um, it's kind of the introduction of the skirmish game. I can't think of an example prior to this. And I can think of a really good example later, which we absolutely should make an episode about, which is uh, Boot Hill. Oh, cool. Yes. But, um, but maybe you can kind of, for those un- for the uninitiated, define the difference between a battlefield game and a skirmish game. So it's about the lens of focus. Where are you setting your base unit of maneuver, the thing you move around on the table, and where are you uh, setting your lens of command, what the player is looking down from? So in a battlefield game, the lens of command is likely going to be a general or a brigadier, some type of officer who's got staff, and they're going to be appointing commands to other officers who are entrusted to see their companies and battalions and regiments do the thing they're instructed and drilled to do. So a lot of times your base element of maneuver could be as big as like 100, 300, 500 dudes. And as you move them around, it's more about the maneuver and the strategy and operational thinking wherein you get to a skirmish game you're dealing with the individuals so it's much more intimate you're dealing with characters people who have names and it usually takes on a very different tone and feel even if you're using similar dice mechanics the look of the game will be different the way you structure your terrain like instead of making a crossroads with three houses and that's a village for an abstracted bigger battle game in a skirmish game that's not a village that's just three houses on a crossroads you know what i mean like that's literally the representation that it is yeah that makes skirmish games so rewarding because like you're you're capturing something that feels dynamic and real in a way that another game will simply give you an outcome and tell you oh yeah the outcome is that this battalion lost and ran away how it lost you figure that out but i love in a skirmish game where you do see how that battalion lost for example you see the click clock of the individual maneuver and movement and things in such a detailed way so it really pays off for the audience yeah for sure um I mean, there's many, like, it's interesting to differentiate what is referred to as scale from what I would call scope. Yep, that's a very good point. Yeah, so scale is literally the the scale. It's, you know, uh, a human size equivalent to, like, how many times reduced from an actual person is the thing. So, like, uh, a naval warfare game um, is obviously at a smaller abstraction than say a Napoleonic's game because mm-hmm. if the main thing that we're focusing on are boats then the people are considerably smaller so that we can represent more boats on the table otherwise i mean that's that's an interesting concept but that's like a war game on like if you're doing like a boarding action and you had like two large boats can you, you imagine okay i'm sure that's been done 
Oh no, it's <laughs> no, it's done in chainmail. Let me tell you about this. Okay. So what happens in chainmail is if you get so at the players at the start of the battle declare a six inch area of your battlefield on your starting table edge that represents the path to your baggage train. Mm. And if the enemy stumbles upon that, you have to declare, oh, you found the route to my baggage train. And then the enemy removes their troops from the table as they then lose discipline and run to loot the baggage train. The defender can then send troops to that same point on the table to extract them from the table to interrupt the looting of the baggage train, which it suggested you resolve as a separate encounter on a separate table. Interesting. Isn't that wild? Yeah, no, that's like it's like multiple levels of abstraction. But I think like just to go back to my idea of like what scale is as opposed to scope. Yes. Is um so scale like um Warhammer 40k epic is still Warhammer, but the scale is significantly like it, it's or increased. So a space marine which would take up which would be like a 28 millimeter figure. I mean, I think nowadays they're bigger. They are. Yeah, they're a little chunkier these yeah. days. The, I, I, I haven't been in that side of the hobby much lately. So, but yeah, so you have this, this guy and the, that represents a unit. But in Epic, back, going back in time, <laughs> when Epic was a thing, that unit was represented at, what was it, like seven mil? It was a six mil per Six. model okay. and then you would have about four to five models per base it, it was either a square base or a strip like a rectangular base and yeah. yeah and that would be like representing a fire team as opposed to an individual trooper and it was a really oh man i loved epic what a game <laughs> i'm so excited for for six mil gaming in general but epic was great and um I don't know. There was a there's a real point that you're making. Like this, the scale of Epic was like tiny dudes, bigger battlefield. But I think what you're indicating with scope is that has something to do with what you, the player, are seeing. Yeah, um, scope is more about how the rules are dictated. Okay. So, as uh, a, an example of of scope to scale, and there's some argument as to this. So, uh, for those listening. One of our fond games that we play is Two Fat Lardies Chain of Command, which is a World War II uh, miniatures game, which now this is the weird part where I get to this. The, the scope of the game is a battlefield game, effectively. It can be played on a smaller level, but the rules represent things like an HQ. Uh, they represent set different platoons. You have different off-table assets or, as well, right? Yeah, it, it's a platoon representation with an HQ and multiple squads. That would be the best way to describe it. It would. And, and there are other support units that you can option in. That game, in its rules and the way that uh, the writers created it, they play the game with 28 mil figures that represent larger groups we play it with 15 mil where each unit is a guy now we don't do anything different with necessarily the rules there are some implicit shifts though like for instance 
you could think of each. So with the 28 mil, the way that they figure it is that is a representation of a team or, you know, a part of a squad that has a certain number of what we could represent as hit points, which are individual members. And what we do is represent those hit points with individual figures as opposed to a counter. So that's about accurate? That's right. Yeah. So there's some implicit shifts in the scope of the game because they have, they might have a, uh, a team of infantrymen and then they would have a leader represented separately. Yep. And then that would be the squad. And that takes up so much table space. When we do it, the guys, the, 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 the team and the squad in general are more like a cloud that is a little bit harder to conceal, which in our opinion makes it a little bit more realistic. But they are ostensibly just representing hit points. So if, like, if you can see one guy, you can hit the whole squad. We haven't changed that rule. It's not like a man-to-man combat like in Chainmail, where if like, oh, I see that guy, that's the only guy I can hit. It's still representational, but that's what I mean. It's a battlefield representation. There's, we're dealing with abstractions. Ch- um, what is it? Um, Warhammer does this all the time uh, with the idea that you're moving a squad. Uh, the individual units might represent what the squad has, but it's not, they're not individual guys. Like, they're represented in scale as individual guys, but the rules don't represent them as such. And there are lots of war games that effectively engage with squads as a base instead of a cloud of skirmishing individuals. They reduce the squad to just a single footprint, and that gets tracked numerically in terms of damage or morale effect. And by tracking it in that way, it's it's a little more abstract, but it's cleaner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting. It kind of depends what you're trying to achieve. And I think for a lot of people, part of what they want is they want the nice models that 28 millimeter provides, mm-hmm. but they want a battle game. Yeah. So they just smash those two things together when a good battle game, in my opinion, tends to use smaller scale models. I, I'm, I'm of the same mind. Um, and I think Jay's got, Jay certainly voiced an opinion along those lines, which is 28 mil is perfectly fine for skirmish where you're representing a man to man kind of situation on a much more zoomed in scope. So, uh, scope on the skirmish level represents things like individual injuries in some cases, uh, the, the requirement to reload in some much more gritty cases. Yep. I think Necromunda being a perfect example of that. Yeah. Necromunda is probably the, the gold standard for skirmish game, at least that's still running. Um, I know there are some World War II skirmish games. I'm a huge fan of uh, Five Men at Kursk, for example, for World War II skirmish. That's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, but then there are... Uh, to represent a battlefield game really works better in our opinion. Of course, it is our opinion that 15 mil and then scaling up, which would mean the units get smaller, is preferable to battle. Uh, it really depends. 
I often find genre actually can play a big part in this. Uh, we were talking about six mil. That's right. There's a special kind of feeling that six mil plays on sci-fi war games. Yes. Um, other games, certainly I've seen six mil represented in other ways, certainly for representing really, really big combats like, uh, ancient Rome or Napoleonic can look gorgeous in six mil. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's classic. I mean, that's not even that far off of Kriegspiel using blocks. It isn't. You're it, totally it, it's right. Just, it's a prettier version of the same thing. Yeah, totally. There's this implicit idea that as warfare becomes more advanced, it scales wider. That's right. And I don't think I don't think we can. It'd be hard to represent. So the largest scale of game is, um, I would say, it's the the highest level of strategy representation. Oh, like a grand strategy game. Grand. That's it. Grand strategy. So grand strategy being, I guess, the highest level where the we're not just representing an HQ, we're representing an entire nation. Yeah, grand strategy would be the fate of nations and empires. Strategy is, my interpretation, is sort of like theaters and fronts. You know what I mean? And then when you come down to operations, you're dealing with like, operational warfare is just the most complicated thing and imaginable but when you get into it you're looking at anything from an army level all the way down to battalion level and you're dealing with a whole range of problems in there but they're consistent in that you're really dealing with the logistics of those problems so and then when you oh go ahead sorry so when when you're saying that are are, are we talking about like a game like rommel or uh rommel would be a good example of a game that does have uh operational tone to it even though it's still a very tactically focused game because it's division downward so you can see like for example the u.s army sees everything that a division does downward as tactical where if you were to like look at the canadian army they're looking at everything a battalion down does as tactical right just because the scale of their organizations is so different but um in rommel it is a division down game but it does have these operational hallmarks in the way that you use road movement you're using motorized units like trucks that typically don't get shown off in most tactical games because they'll just get shot up and blow up mm. they're really important in an operational game because that's how you move stuff you know what i mean yeah so it's really interesting and there's a lot of um a lot of like really cool grist in operational gaming but it's definitely like closer to logistics and accounting than it is into like exciting technical choices so you sort of have to want that flavor but then once you get in my opinion to regiment and down battalion and down you're really in the realm of tactics and then you're dealing with like terrain like where am i standing relative to my opponent and why is that relevant what's the context yeah. and that's like when you're really at the tactical level of command and I think a good war game knows its scope and plays plays to it. And I don't like a game that implies it's at different scopes at different times. I feel like that's awkward. Yeah. And I know a lot of games do that because they're trying to evoke different feelings. They're trying to appeal to different markets. But I like when a game is like, I'm going to hit this and I'm going to do it specific. I think that is when something is more more worthy of praise and like 
you know, to bring up Chain of Command again, that's a game that definitely is feeling like a battlefield game rather than a skirmish game because you're coordinating multiple assets. You're working with groups of troops um, at the multiple groups at the same time, you know? So it definitely captures a bigger feeling, mm -hmm. but it knows very specifically at what scale it is depicting World War II. So it only gives you choices that are relevant to that scale. So it doesn't all of a sudden have a whole logistics component because, well, that was part of the war. It's like, but it wasn't part of the war at that scale. So it's not relevant to include. And I think that's something that's really important in the scope discussion is like hitting that and including the right decisions for where you fixate your lens. Yeah. You know, as opposed to it like being this weird blurry zoom in, zoom out, like, oh, I kind of represent the efforts of seven people. I kind of like when it's narrowed and you're like, no, you are the brigadier and you have their choices. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it it creates a more refined experience uh, when you bring it, when when you adjust the scope. Yeah. So, and as I, as I said, the scope is not necessarily the scale you're... I, I honestly... You could play a skirmish game with 15 mil figures if you wanted. People do it in 6 mil, for sure. Like, you play 6 mil in centimeters, and you can play a skirmish game. It's not for everyone, but it's very doable. And it's cool that it exists. Um, but, like, scope is, is very much, like, how the rules kind of intersect with the, the scale of the game. That's so right. That not only does it play at a scale, which is ultimately a, a, a personal choice between the people playing, but that it represents that scale. Yeah, when you marry the scale and the scope elegantly, like you described with sci-fi, right? Like six mil sci-fi at like a company battalion level just feels so good because you've got these tiny tanks driving down highways, shooting lasers at each other. Oh, man, it's awesome. If you were to represent something like um, Starship Troopers, oh yeah, you could represent it on you could represent it on many scales. But the way that it sort of is represented, either in the books or the movie, movies, <laughs> whatever we may think of those, <laughs> um, the you can see that playing it at say a six mil level would provide you a lot more battlefield. That's the other like scale. The smaller the the smaller the unit, the more table. And I think um, there's a tendency for for us as gamers to want to get as many toys on the table at once as possible. And mm -hmm. it's like in twenty eight mil, if you want to have more than one tank on the table, you're already stretching plausibility. You know, with how close they would really operate so in six mil it's like great get a whole company of tanks on the table it's totally fine because you can still space them out with this plausibility this this term i've heard of television realism where it's not really real but it looks realer than if they were all bumper to bumper you know oh yeah like well again even if you were playing with 15 mil it'd be hard to represent like a company yep that's when six would be the sweet spot you would have to abstract it, yeah, down so that maybe in campaigns you could represent like reinforcements to particular battles, or you would play each battle as a separate encounter of a company. Mm -hmm. um, but to, to play that to the table, you'd need a much large, the scale would be much higher. And so the scope would ideally want to match that. Yeah, that's a really interesting it's a really interesting conversation about wargaming and I think it's something like to bring it back to chainmail. I think 
the way Chainmail talks about it is like using a 28 to a 25 millimeter to 32 millimeter lead or tin figure, and it is used to be multiple men or a single man, depending on what, what you want to set your scope at, but the scale remains the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's an interesting distinction. And I think that works up until the pretty much the widespread use of the rifle. Yeah. Well, as I think that was the point I was going to kind of also tie in here and, and, and use that as a bridging point for um, chainmail. Yeah. Is that chainmail is a medieval game. And so kind of to tie back to the my saying about sci-fi and working in six mil, the technology level actually implicitly affects the scope of the game. It does. Because obviously there's more organized. So we were, we've been going on and on about world war two games. Um, and that's just cause that's what we've been playing a lot of, but um, I do think that it's kind of a representation. There's a bit of an exception with antiquity. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just cause of the scale of some of those battles as described. Yes. And it's also so hard because like we really only have fuzzy perspectives on some of the details of those battles. Yeah. Of like the specifics of how they were conducted at the tactical level are pretty unknown to a lot of us, you know? Uh, so it's, yeah. So aside from that, I would say peculiar caveat, Technology definitely affects the scale. So as you said, like the introduction of rifles now requires more play space to be utilized because yeah. I, <laughs> the majority of my engagements are not going to require me touching models together in order to represent conflict. In fact, it, it brings into a lot of elements that are often contentious in wargaming, which are things like line of sight yes like when when do i have i know that i you were talking i remember a while back you were talking about the uh like anything shows and anything goes kind of yes there is well, line there, of sight like the way that i like to play line of sight is i'm generous with line of sight to say yes you can see it but i'm also generous to say yes they have cover do you know what i mean right so yeah, yeah yeah so there's like the declarative Tact that what what I like to call declarative tactics, mm -hmm. which is I announce that my units are utilizing a particular piece of cover, or and it might come up like I may not have realized this because you've moved yours, but there's a concession made. I think it's kind of what you're getting at. There's a concession made that well, I see that those guys are behind something, but I can see them, so I will shoot at them, but at a penalty. That's right, exactly, and. Uh, the way that I have always enjoyed playing the war game, like if you're playing, say, a card game, you don't need to s declare and state your intention behind every move because the rule set is very architected and very clear. But when you're playing a war game, there's so much more room for interpretation that it really is helpful to state, I am moving here, I am taking this position of cover, and we understand the line of sight implications of that. Yeah. As opposed to parking a truck kind of behind a hedge and not saying if you think you can or cannot see it and sort of hoping your opponent's confused enough by it as not to ask. Like, you know what I mean? Like, none of that. The whole intent is to be these infantry take the farmhouse and they're at the windows. 
that means they can shoot, but they're going to get shot back. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that... It's a give and take. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I sit. Even if you're playing competitively, I still think that's part of what you're doing is you're speaking your intent out. And it, there's no room for gotcha. It's just room for making the right choices that defeat your opponent and riding the luck of the dice. It's not really like, oh, they were not careful enough with declaring their things, so I'm tricky at getting them in in such a way, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Well, and again, this, I mean, I'll, I'll eventually <laughs> tie this tangent down, but um, I will make the point that one of the things that got us, sort of inspired us to make this podcast is that there were a lot of, at least one of your inspirations, I remember you telling me, was that there's a lot of uh, news passed around and opinions given about competitive wargaming. But the kind of gaming that you and I like to play is something that's more narrative. So we like game, like, it doesn't necessarily have to have rules. It just, it doesn't have to be balanced. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm against you, even though ostensibly I am playing to win. Um, but it, it's more about the interesting outcomes. So there's some games that we both agree that are really, really representative of that. Um, Battlefield games, less so, though I would say that Chain of Command it has a lot of room for interpretation, and so it, it does sort of appeal to, I guess, a friendlier sort of game or a more, a more uh, storytelling game. It's not the most balanced thing. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, uh, but I don't think that it needs to be, I think, for the kinds of games that we enjoy. Another example is, um, or are games like um, Mordheim yep. is a really good example, especially... Well, you know, Mordheim being one of the best examples, I fully agree. Um, campaign, uh, play, yeah, Necromunda, Necromunda. Yep. yeah, another great game in, in campaign play, especially the balance becomes less relevant and more like the context and stories of your forces become what the game is about. Yeah. And that to me applies even in a one shot game. Like if I'm just playing a random game of Battletech, like 4MX versus a Lance of 4MX, to me, I'm still trying to derive out what is the narrative and not in a way where i have to write like three paragraphs of backstory as to why we're here but more the narrative of the tabletop experience itself like what what was it like for this mech warrior pilot to go through this encounter and what did they see and, and how did that feel to them and just having the dice inform that making choices in line with your character vision almost the way you would as an rpg player but in a war game you know what i'm saying yeah um a good way that i like to think about it because people are like oh well then like you know some people i've met i get the sense that they feel like it takes the stakes out of the game if it's not like a perfectly balanced head-to-head -head battle like a game of chess yes uh in which case why are you rolling dice yeah but anyway digression aside the way that i like to frame it in my mind is my army is a character made up of characters and their goal is to win so i will role play them as trying to achieve victory now that allows me the ability to stop the game and it's almost like both players are like a gm at the same time as playing a character where they're like okay 
is this fair that I can hit you here? Yes, I absolutely agree that that is the balance point that you need for more of the narrative wargame experience. And the tighter the rule set, perhaps the less interpretation that you need, but also at the same time, the tighter the rule set, the less room you have for your own personal interpretation, which can bite you the other way. Yeah. And so to bring chainmail and then eventually close this uh, very interesting divergence from our topic, <laughs> uh, do we feel that chainmail represents its scale and scope? I think chainmail does at the man to man level very well. Yeah. I think that is where it's tightest. I think that's where the game, I, like I wasn't there at the inception of the game, so I don't know, but I don't, I, I could see that becoming the primary way to play Chainmail as a skirmish game. Um, my, before I got into reading about it, my imagination of the game told me that's what it was as well. Mm. And I think that that is based on what, came after it really what this game inspired people with you know and there were there always are going to be mass combat games i love the big battle game where you rank and flank there's really cool stuff to all of that but there's something about these skirmish games and the intimacy that they give you and chainmail helped open that door and i think it really does at the man to man hit that scope scale balance quite well yeah i'd agree with that um at least from what i've read evidently we we haven't sat down and really put the the figures in play and maybe that is the next step but um i do get the sense that the big innovation which is as you say the best representation of the the scope of the game is that man-to-man -man aspect which i can't think of an example prior to there are other games that do different adjacent things but i'm thinking like Charles Grant's Battle was more of like a skirmishy World War II game. Right. But I don't, but I have to admit, I don't know its date in relation to this date because that was a World War II historical game from Britain. Right. So I don't know exactly where that aligns with this, but that's a good question. Um, but this game is one of the first to do it in such a way that it really demonstrated the, the strength of it. And it changed the lens of focus, like we were saying, from general to captain, you know, to that lower level of authority that gives you that closer perspective. And then it opened the door to zooming in even further, just down all the way to the one individual. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Tales and Tactics. Your hosts have been Troy and Max, production by Jay and music by Project Etten. We patiently await your return.